All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America. Happy Thursday and a big Thursday. It is just a little while ago. The United States Supreme Court in a 6-3 ruling struck down the very strict gun permitting rules that several states have imposed, even after an earlier Supreme Court ruling suggested that the second, well, then suggested, concluded that the Second Amendment was an absolute right. Well, some communities and states didn't get the message. So guess what? The uh, Supreme Court spoke even more loudly today, striking down New York's permitting laws that were very restrictive for people, affirming that we not only have a right to keep arms, we have the right to bear them, meaning to carry them with us to protect us for self-defense, to protect us and our nation. A monumental ruling. A lot of people are saying this is an expansion of gun rights. I think it's actually an affirmation. I think really this is consistent with the Heller ruling a decade ago. But you know, I'm just a journalist. We've got some of the best legal experts in the country, and we've got one of them coming on the show tonight. Mark W. Smith, he's a senior fellow of law and public policy and a presidential scholar at the King's College in New York City. He's got a great YouTube channel on the Second Amendment. And what I mean, it's it's not propaganda, it's lessons, understanding how the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, what was really intended by our founding fathers. We're going to bring him on. He's going to make sense of this ruling, where this all goes. And of course, we still got the big one to come, the abortion ruling. And I'm sure we'll be able to talk to Mark about that as well. We're really excited about that. And then in the second half of the show, I want to introduce you to a really powerful voice who came on our show last night. He is the vice president of one of the most important police unions in America, the Fraternal Order of Police. And he had some very, very strong words about where the police rank and file stand in today's soaring crime culture and he didn't spare any words he was on with amanda and i on the tv show last night just said he was not noise on real america's voice his name is joe gamaldi he is the national vice president for the fraternal order of police and he unloaded it's a really remarkable interview beginning with the declaration he told us right on the bat i would say that most police officers don't believe that joe biden is on their side and then he went on to describe why police find democratic policies to be worsening crime, to be tying their hands behind their back, to be encouraging mean, violent offenders to ambush officers without provocation. It is really powerful interview. We thought we would be worth sharing it with you. So we brought him on the show today. So two great interviews. We're going to dive into that incredible Incredible ruling today out of the Supreme Court. It really is a historic ruling on the state of the Second Amendment and guns. And then we're going to go and have a conversation about the state of crime, the state of police. Do Democrats really back the blue like they say when, in fact, they were defunding police? And and just this week, the Chicago mayor said, no more foot choices. Bad guy runs. You can't chase him. Say, what? I mean, uh, how do you catch bad guys? Now everyone's going to run and they know they can be they can walk. A pretty remarkable claim a pretty remarkable policy that handicaps police left and right. Joe Gamadi is going to tell you exactly what he thinks about that. Now, before we get to that, I wanted to 
just spend some time on a story we just broke. I mean, you're the first people to hear about it. Just broke on the site a few minutes ago at Just the News. Headline is January 6th panels, Ron Johnson narrative exposes the ills of one-sided investigative hearings. Uh, as you know, the January 6th committee has not allowed Republicans to have their own members. It doesn't allow the president, President Trump, or his colleagues to defend themselves, have a defense in such a way. And that's contrary to the way most American hearings and proceedings occur. And on a few occasions now over the last few weeks, we've seen the dangers, the ills, the unfairness or the distortion that a one-sided hearing can bring. And overnight last night, we got a brand new example of it involving Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He's been on the show several times. You know who he is. He's been on the TV show, played a big role in raveling Russia Russiagate and Ukraine, and and also asked the hard questions that needed to be asked on COVID-19, its origins, uh, the safety reviews of, of the various medications and vaccinations. He, the left hates him, and they are doing everything they can to defeat him in this 2020 election. He's up for re-election for a third term. But the most important fact to come out last night was the ones that didn't come out. There is headlines this morning in all the major newspapers, CNN and Washington Post, Politico had this headline. Ron Johnson tried to hand fake elector info to Mike Pence on January 6th. Uh, That's a pretty challenging, big, accusatory uh, headline. And I don't blame Politico per se for writing it because that's exactly the headline that Democrats put out. They put out a handful of text messages showing that a staffer for Ron Johnson had a quick conversation over text with a staffer for Mike Pence to deliver an envelope that a third party had apparently alerted them to just hours before the January 6th certification. And the the Pence people basically said, ah, we don't want it. And that's kind of where the text messages ended. And that's the story. And so Ron Johnson endured these extraordinary headlines this morning, like he tried to hand fake elector info to Pence. Well, he never tried to hand the fake elector info to Pence. He never did it. He didn't approach Pence. He didn't do it. A guy called him out of the blue, a lawyer from Wisconsin who apparently was contacted by a member from Congress and said, hey, just FYI, there's something we're trying to get to Mike Pence about the electors. The senator, busy as he was on a day where he's going to be standing in certification of the election results, he, well, he uh, sent it to his chief of staff. His chief of staff texted back and forth. And there were a series of text messages that were kept out of the public view yesterday. So the text messages go like something like this. Johnson wants to hand something to the vice president. What is it? Alternate slate of electors from Michigan and Wisconsin because archivists didn't receive them. Do not give that to him, the VP's aide, a guy named Hodgson wrote back. And that's where the media and the committee left the story. All right, so it's like, but here's what we didn't find out. There were additional messages that show Penn staff already knew about the alternate electors and were getting them in the mail anyways. And Johnson staff immediately took the advice they got and they stood down. It is pretty remarkable. The Hodgson said, hey, they knew about those electors and they were supposed to come in through the mail. And then he told them, you know, don't 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 have the VP get these. I mean, the reason he didn't want the VP to get them was not because he didn't want to receive them. He already was planning to receive them in the mail. It was, there was a security concern that the Secret Service wouldn't have time to vet the security of the mail on a very busy day when the vice president was presiding over this. So he writes back, the VP absolutely should not receive any mail that hasn't been screened. But he also said well, he knew about those. Pence team knew about those alternate electors because they were, quote, supposed to come in through the mail. And then Johnson's chief of staff acknowledges, all right, I understand what you're saying. Johnson understands we're not going to deliver the messages. And then Johnson goes back to this Wisconsin lawyer who got him involved in this and says, hey, I heard from Mike Pence and I can't do it. It's not appropriate to do it. They don't want it. And quote, we've been informed by the VP, cannot accept any unsealed mail and I cannot hand it to him. The senator texted the lawyer who got him started Uh, Pretty interesting stuff. Well, those were left out of yesterday's release by the Democrats. They distort what is known uh, by the public. And when you find out, it's actually Ron Johnson never tried to hand it to the vice president. He got an inquiry, asked if it was appropriate. He found it wasn't appropriate. And oh, by the way, the vice president already knew and was getting these and he stood down. What a big difference from the headlines that were subjected. And uh, we've seen this, right? We've seen this tactic used by Adam Schiff and the Democrats on so many people to sully so many reputations. Remember when the 
House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes, good friend of this show, tried to start digging into Russia collusion. He was referred to an ethics investigation that turned out to be totally bogus. Donald Trump was accused of Russia collusion when none existed. For three years, he was accused. We look in the January 6th committee. This is the third one. Ron Johnson's the third instance where you see a selling of a reputation where the facts don't actually match the Democrat story. Let's start with Bernie Carrick. We broke that story last November. Bernie Carrick's accused by the committee in a public document released by the committee of attending a January 5th meeting to overthrow the election results in Washington, D.C. Turns out Bernie Carrick didn't attend that. He couldn't have attended because why? He wasn't in Washington. He was in New York. His phone and toll records show that the committee had apologized to him. False accusation debunked. Just two weeks ago on this show and on justthenews.com, we had Congressman Barry Loudermilk, a uh, Republican from Congress. For six weeks, he stood accused by the January 6th committee of running a reconnaissance mission with the insurrectionists to scope out exits and entries into the Capitol before that fateful day of violence. Uh, There's only one problem with that accusation. The Capitol Police looked at the video footage and Congressman Loudermark didn't even set foot in the Capitol. So the core allegation already debunked. But not only did he not set foot in the Capitol, he wasn't taking insurrectionists around, he was taking constituents around to a congressional office building where they went to lunch in the basement. And the cops looked at it and said, there's nothing suspicious. Nothing like what was accused was on the video. Loudermark was tarnished for months, weeks, excuse me, weeks, before the truth could come out. And where did that truth come out? Right here on Just the News. We were first to break that. And now Ron Johnson accused of handing, trying to hand a package of information when in fact that's not what happened. At some point, the Americans have to realize these false stories need to carry a consequence to the people who purvey them in the media and in the political sphere, in Senate and House and Congress. These are destructive. They're destructive to America's trust of its institutions. Every time we get a false story, we are harmed by it. And I'm telling you, we're getting whopper after whopper after whopper. And it's the same crowd many times in Liz Cheney, Adam Schiff, probably the greatest purveyor of false and exaggerated information that I can remember the 30 plus years I've been in this town. Well, that's my thought for the day. I'm so glad that we could get those facts to you. We put all the text messages up. You can go to the dig in button on that story, go read them yourself and you decide. You decide what you think really happened there. In the meantime, I'm so grateful that you've been listening. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got back-to-back great guests, starting with Mark Smith, the great legal professor from King's College in New York City. And after that, we're going to turn to that great interview with the Fraternal Order of Police, Joe Gamaldi, National Vice President, and his thoughts on where cops stand with the Biden administration and Democrats in general policies that seem to be fomenting violence and crime and handicapping the great law enforcement, the men men and women of blue. We're going to talk about that with Mr. Gabaldi in just a second. All right, let's take that commercial break. We'll be right back. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, Add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Hey folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free 
app. I used to listen to all sorts of radio on my AM or FM radio. Today, I don't have time to be in the car that often. You know where I listen? I listen on the iHeartRadio app. It's awesome. And they have some really cool new features, unlike anything else in the market. One of them is called Talk Back Mic. Anytime I have something to say, I tap the mic and send my voice message and then listen to hear my voice on one of my favorite shows. Isn't that cool? You can send a message to your favorite disc jockey, your favorite podcast show host. So be sure to download the iHeartRadio app. Radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeartRadio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeartRadio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeartRadio app. All right, folks, as we mentioned at the top of the show, a major Supreme Court ruling, a major victory for Second Amendment rights. All those people living in cities where they don't allow constitutional carry or even concealed carry with great ease got a message from the seven, uh, from the nine justices today, a 6-3 ruling, and we have the perfect person, one of the really great experts on the Second Amendment joining us now. He is Mark Smith, Senior Fellow of Law and Public Policy and a Presidential Scholar at the King's College in New York City. Mark, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, John. You've done a lot of writing over the years. You've done a lot of litigating. Uh, when you look back at this ruling and the history of Second Amendment rulings, how big a deal is it? Oh, it's huge. It's there. There's no exaggeration. This is a huge ruling because for the last 10 plus years since the Supreme Court concluded, obviously, that the right to keep and bear arms means exactly that, that it's an individual right. In the Heller case, you've had rogue outlier jurisdictions in six states in particular, New York, New Jersey, California, Maryland, Massachusetts and Hawaii that have really used courts to thumb their nose at the meaning and text of the Second Amendment. And this decision by the U.S. Supreme Court is really a clear message, a legal message that's binding on these six outlier states that they, too, are part of the union and they must respect and honor for their citizens the Second Amendment right to keep their arms. And they have made it very clear that it's not just the right to keep arms, which is the right to have possessed firearms in your home for self-defense. Yeah. It's also the right to bear arms, which means the right to carry them outside of the home in public in anticipation of a confrontation with a criminal or other person that threatens your life or your the life of your friends or family. Yeah, it is remarkable. The case name, folks, is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Inc. versus Bruin. It is a major ruling, and it really does come down to what the cities did after the Heller ruling, which was a D.C. Uh, uh, court ruling, uh, was, uh, and then went all the way up to the Supreme Court, they, they basically created these overly restricted permit uh, processes that basically excluded most people from being able to carry a gun in their city. Uh, and the court really, I think, made clear today that that overly restricted thing violated the Constitution. Uh, it is pretty, pretty amazing. What do you think will happen in those six states of New Jersey, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Maryland, and California? Well, as a practical matter, they're going to have to amend their laws to go from, as your listeners probably are well aware, John, there's you know three types of carry regimes in America. You have permitless carry, meaning your Second Amendment is really your permit to carry a gun outside the home for self-defense. You have shall-issue regimes, which means if you're a law-abiding American, you meet a basic criteria, then the government shall issue you a permit to carry a gun. And then you have these six outlier states that had a regime called may issue, or I call it mother may I issue uh, permits. And in the mother may I issue permit states or the may issue permit states of these six that have been addressed by this court ruling, you had to go and ask permission of the state governments and the state law enforcement agencies. And what was different, John, in those states is that you had to demonstrate that you were a special American. You couldn't just say I'm an American. I want to exercise my Second Amendment rights. You had to demonstrate that you were uniquely it was uniquely important for you to carry a gun outside the home. You had to show you were a celebrity, you were at risk of stalkers, uh, you were a politician, or something that made you special, and when you were special, you got the right to carry a gun. But if you're an ordinary American in those six states, you generally speaking, they would not let you carry a gun for self-defense. That was not a good enough reason in the May issue states. So what's going to happen next in those six states is May issue is no longer constitutional. They will have to move to either a permitless carry regime, which I don't think they will, they're instead probably going to go to a shall issue regime. And then, of course, what they may try to 
do is to try to make the shall issue objective requirements more onerous than they have in the past. Uh, but that, the, but the courts will see right through that yeah. as an abridgment of the Constitution. The court, uh, the court ruling is pretty clear. Six three, clear writing on that majority opinion. You wrote a book uh, back in 2019 that I think really encapsulated what's going on here. First, they came for the gun owners, a campaign to disarm you and take your freedoms. And the, the underlying thing is beyond gun control. It's more than just guns, that this movement is much larger than guns. Talk a little bit about what that book pointed toward and how this ruling eases some of the concerns. Well, in the United States, we're citizens. That's what we're supposed to be, citizens. And historically, going all the way back to you know, Greek and Roman times, Citizens had three rights. They had the right to own property, the right to vote, and the right to bear arms. Well, what's been going on in some states in the United States, and unfortunately currently in our Congress with certain senators, they seem to think that we are not citizens, we are serfs, or we're subjects. And uh, today's decision by the Supreme Court is a strong reminder that Americans have a fundamental right to keep and bear arms. It's not a privilege. It's not an honor. It is a right that we have, all Americans have, if you're law-abiding, to keep and bear arms. And I think this reminder is, is a great reminder that we, as Americans, are citizens and not serfs, which you see in places like Europe. And I think that, that is a powerful, and I think that the anti-gun community is very upset today because they view ordinary Americans as people that can be tax-farmed and not equal citizens uh they need to tell us how to eat and how to behave and we can't make these decisions for ourselves because in their eyes we're just not smart enough or trustworthy enough to feed ourselves take care of our family pay our bills and indeed carry guns yeah the exact same elitism that our founding fathers rebelled against with great britain it's just remarkable to see it come back 246 47 years later I wanted to ask you um, about another topic that I think you've tied in better than anyone. Of course, we're sitting in the shadows and the painful memories of just what happened at Uvalde. But you wrote a book called Duped, which I love because while it didn't, you know, it didn't make light of what happened. Parkland was a horrific tragedy. It really showed how the anti-gun lobby basically politicized it and 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 exploited uh, the people of that tragedy for its own political gains. Um, that's sort of been the key here, right? Taking advantage of victims and using victimology to try to erode the rights. Certainly for the last 10 years, that seems to be one of the common themes of these anti-gun efforts. Do you think that stops with this moment? It, it doesn't stop. And actually, I would add that what really happens whenever you have one of these terrible mass shooting events is there is an attempt, and this is my view, there is an attempt by government actors and politicians to distract us from what is often government failure, government inability or incompetence to protect law-abiding Americans from criminals and evildoers. And whether it be at Parkland where you know, they, you know, they don't let the police go in, um, you know, whether it be at Uvalde, and, and that story continues to be unveiled, the different things where we thought they had locked the door, but it turns out they didn't lock any doors and on and on. So a lot of these are smoke screens for government failure. And instead of recognizing that we have to protect ourselves as our, we, we being our own first responders, they decide that the right answer is more and more government. But in most of these instances, these killings have give, arose from government failures, from government incompetence in one form or another. And somehow the solution in the eyes of the anti-gunners is always more power to the government, more money to the government, and less freedom to us when it is really the government that has failed us and not the reverse. Yeah, we're, we're empowering the failed and punishing those who actually were given these rights. Uh, a remarkable dynamic. And there's a larger strategy, and I, I know you talk about this, and I, I think at this moment in history, as we see so many attempts of both the First and Second Amendment to be restrained, this kind of new concept that the left is using, or certainly reinvigorated, called lawfare. Can you talk a little bit about what lawfare is and how it really has turned into an assault on basic freedoms of Americans? Well, yes. Lawyers and the legal system are expensive and slow and, and not, just, not just expensive in terms of money. They're also expensive in terms of distractions from productive life. 
And what I mean by that is the, the anti-gunners want to sue anyone associated with the gun industry that they can so that gun companies, for example, cannot focus on making better products and at lower prices to, you know, and doing their business. Instead, they have to devote more and more time and resources to paying for insurance to cover them in the event of a lawsuit, for paying lawyers to protect them in the event of a lawsuit, and to, you know, deal with these legal processes. In fact, I would say, John, for anybody has just set aside the merits of the January 6th committee, I think we're probably of a like mind of our view of that, but set that issue aside. If you look at the process of the January 6th committee, I'm not talking about the fairness or unfairness right. of it. The, the time, the money, all those people being subpoenaed have gone, had to go out and hire lawyers. They've had to go to Washington. They've had to sit for depositions. They've had to prepare for these things. It has been, I am sure, to say the least, a total pain in the butt at a minimum for these people. Yeah. And that, to me, is the lesson that Americans should take away from the January 6th stuff. If you look at what these people have been put through and you realize that lawfare is how, for example, the anti-gun community, in my view, tries to distract the gun industry and the gun space from doing their job, that is the idea. Because if you're you know, being sued, if you're being subpoenaed, if you have to sit in a room all day with lawyers, you're not productive. Yeah. Right. You're simply not being productive. You can't do your show. You can't make your product. You can't sell your ice cream cone, whatever it is. You are being unproductive that day. And lawfare intends to make things unproductive on purpose. Yeah, it's really pretty remarkable that and I know, you know, I've interviewed many people who said their lives were bankrupted by a legal challenge often which they won. But it came. They didn't feel like they won when they were done because the personal cost the time cost and the, you know, the monetary cost has become too great. And it seems like that lawfare has been politically weaponized so much more in the last 10 years. I was thinking at uh, right and after you know, the, John, that's yeah. exactly what red flag laws is, right? If you think about red flag laws, that's the whole idea that they take your guns first unbeknownst to you, right? Right. You, someone prepares a case against you. They say, oh, you know, Mark or John, they posted something we don't like on social media. They also posted photos of guns and they said the Second Amendment's important or, or, and they like Donald Trump. We're scared. Then they behind your back. They don't tell you about it, of course. They go to the police or they go to the court and they get an order saying we're going to take their guns. Then you lose your guns. And then only after you found out about this and have lost your guns, then you've got to go find lawyers and pay for your lawyer and pay for the mental health experts. And if you look at this red flag bill that the Senate's negotiating, it expressly, it expressly, John says, that you don't get a government paid for lawyer in these red flag laws. Yeah. It actually says that in the bill. So who's going to pay for your lawyer when you're just trying to make ends meet and pay for your family? You're going to get hit with a bill for thousands of dollars, not just for lawyers, right. but also for mental health professionals, all because someone complained behind your back to a court and took your guns back. And now you've got to spend a bunch of time and money to get your guns back so you can be back to where you started. Yeah, to, be, to receive your full value of your citizenship again, it really is pretty darn remarkable. Um, there's a moment when in our constitutional government, the courts speak, and normally it's a moment where all sides seem to, or should, accept that this is where it ends. But President Biden today issued a very strong statement, basically repudiating the Supreme Court, basically suggesting that they have the wrong thing. It's uh, we must do more as a society, not less to protect our fellow Americans. Um, the idea that a president would try to countermand the Supreme Court through this emotional statement, your thoughts about how he reacted today? Oh, I would expect nothing less out of uh, Joe Biden and the people that are handling him and working with him, right? The people that are, you know, advising him. Uh, no, I, I would fully expect the, the, the left in America has fully has a full-blown assault on the Supreme Court because for 50 years, the left wing controlled the Supreme Court. And whenever they failed to get what they wanted through the, you know, the democratic process, whether it be a welfare benefits, whether it be, you know, protections for illegal aliens, whether it be, um, you know, gay marriage, what have, whether it be the right to an abortion, they, if they couldn't get it passed into law, they would go to the courts and have the courts give them the, what they wanted 
that way. And they're very upset that you have a Supreme Court today that is simply following the letter of the law. They're following the text of the Constitution. They're following the history of this country. And they're not making it up as they go along because they like the politics of the outcome. And I think the left is very upset by this because one of the great things that allowed them to transform American society, in my view, not for the better, by the way, uh, was their power and control of the court system. And they feel they've lost it, at least for now. And they're very upset by it. So I'm not surprised that many of them, including the president, are lashing out, upset the fact that they now have to win their arguments through the democratic process. And they have to respect the U.S. Constitution, which many of them simply don't like. Yeah, it really is. It is remarkable. We're not done with the drama in Washington. The Supreme Court has some big ones left, including uh, the abortion case. Your thoughts about what might happen there in the shadows of a really a devastating leak and uh, what may follow from it the day in the days and weeks after uh, the, the Supreme Court rules on that abortion case? Well, it's, it's really impossible to know what the Supreme Court's going to do on you know any case or this abortion case. But uh, certainly, if the leak is any indication of where the court's head is at, then, you know, they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade and send the question of abortion back to the states on the ground that if you look at the text and the history of the Constitution, the right to an abortion is not there. And, and I, I do think that if you want to read anything into today's decision in Nyserpa versus Bruin, the Supreme Court clearly is looking at the text of the Constitution to see if there's a right there. And if it is, they enforce it. And then they also look at the history of the United States to say, at the time of our founding, John, was this right recognized to be a right? And in contrast to the right to keep marriage, which is actually in the Bill of Rights textually, uh, it's actually, you know, we've been a gun culture for 250 years and then some. In contrast, it's probably a harder case to make that we've been an abortion culture in this country. And there's certainly no reference to the right of the people to keep and bear abortions or anything like that. So I, I could see uh, the Supreme Court saying, well, it's not in the text and it's not in the history of this country. So that means the state legislative bodies are allowed to make laws involving abortion. It's not, we're not going to take that issue off the democratic table off the d democracy table because, again, it's not preempted. So I, I could see them issuing a ruling that says exactly that. This is a question for the states. The Supreme Court never should have got involved with this, and it was an error to do so in Roe v. Wade, and we're fixing that terrible error. Yeah, that, that they are. And I think the, the, the consistency that I'm beginning to see out of this court and, and this session particularly the, the, of this going say, listen, did the, is there an established right? If there is, there's really only one solution and remedy for the court. We have to enforce that right. There's becoming a consistency to it. People can argue with the rationale, but they won't be able to argue with the consistencies if, if these rule, rulings continue to follow suit. Uh, Mark, you do such amazing work. How do people stay in touch with what you do at the King's College and with all the great writing you do? Well, actually, what, what I recommend people do is they follow me. I started about five months ago a Second Amendment YouTube channel called the Four Boxes Diner. And I, and I do <sighs> videos not just on – like I don't really do day-to-day -day Second Amendment stuff per se. I try to teach people – the history and the constitutionalism of the Second Amendment of the sort of thing they can't get on many other excellent channels and, and, and outlets. I try to give them some of the background and the history that they should have learned from their teachers in school yeah. or in college, and they didn't. They so I'm trying to fill the gap of what the teachers have failed to do by teaching American history and uh, the Second Amendment and the Bill of Rights, and it's been quite popular. We have almost 5 million views in like the last 5 or 6 months or so. So people are, but it's the four box says diner on youtube the and i encourage all anyone interested name. in what's the what's the uh, what's the uh, story behind the name well there's the four boxes of american liberty right, right. the four boxes of american liberty is the soap box the ballot box the jury box and the cartridge box and i wanted to speak to the notion of all the boxes of american liberty and i wanted to do it in the casual way john and i thought sending it in a diner setting sure. where it's more casual and not a luxury might make people enjoy it more and, and enjoy the process of learning about the second amendment of the right to keep and bear arms that sounds like a great resource including for parents who might be worried that their kids aren't getting the right lessons in school sounds like a great place to go mark it's always an honor to have your thoughts on on the front page of a newspaper inside a podcast you do such great work and i really want to thank you for your time today thanks again john i appreciate it all right thanks for making sense of all this for us all right folks we'll take a quick commercial break when we come back a few more interviews and then we'll be done for the day we'll be right back 
Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Welcome back, everybody. We are delighted to bring in Joe Gamaldi. He's the National Vice President of the Fraternal Order of Police. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, we've got to start off with this news on the law enforcement front coming out of yet another Democrat-controlled city with a major crime problem, Chicago. Chicago Police Department just recently told their force that they can no longer pursue suspects on foot for misdemeanor crimes. Joe, you know, I, I remember Mayor Lori Lightfoot says that this is to make things safer. I remember the same thing being said when they ended uh, broken window policing in New York City. And now we see what New York City looks like now. And I just, I feel like this is counterproductive, but I know you're the expert on this. What are your thoughts? You know, just when I think that they can't coddle criminals any more than they do, they come out with a policy like this. Just when I think they can't neuter our ability to enforce the law, they come out with something like this. So essentially, they're telling Chicago police officers, you can no longer chase suspects on foot. And if that's not a clear message to criminals in that city, that all you have to do is run from the police and we're not going to chase you. It's going to be like the Wild West, as if it's not already. I mean, residents already don't feel safe walking the streets of their community in Chicago. And now you come out with this. I mean, the ignorance of this policy is completely baffling. But we're not seeing it j just in Chicago. In Philadelphia, they want to stop my traffic stops for minor violations. That is a huge crime fighting tool for us. In 2020, 42% of the illegal guns pulled off the streets in New York. You guessed it, a traffic stop. And, you know, they try to sell these policies to the community by saying this is going to help our, you know, our, the minority members of their community, when in fact it does the exact opposite. Because you know who's disproportionately impacted by violent crime in this country? Black Americans to the tune of 12 times the homicide rate of everybody else. So when you have these people pushing these horrific policies, they don't give a damn about the community. It's agenda over people. Yeah, and it is, and it's amazing. And you're right, the communities that are hurting most since this uh, defunding of the police and disarming of the police security are the minority communities of America. It's statistically uh, irrefutable. I want to ask you about another statistic that is unbelievably troubling. We just had Congressman Ralph Norman on South Carolina saw this horrible ambush of a deputy 
last week, I think in Spartanburg, uh, the chronic uh, ambushes that we're seeing, unprovoked attacks on police at historic highs. Uh, what is going on? What created this dynamic that people are going out and just ambushing police officers? Well, you know, last year was the deadliest year for law enforcement and intentional homicides in 20 years. We saw 350, 346 police officers shot last year, which was a historic number since we started tracking that data. And this year, we're doing even worse. We've already seen 157 police officers shot, which is outpacing last year's numbers by 10%. So when people ask me, you know, what's causing all of this? Well, you know what? We've been denigrated and demonized for the better part of a decade, and we're tired of it. We're going to work every day with targets on our back. People are thinking less and less of shooting us, and they're thinking less and less of killing us. And you would think that politicians would finally start saying, well, we need to support the hardworking men and women of law enforcement, when in fact they're actually doubling down and trying to defund police departments. They continue to try to turn every single incident into a viral incident. And as a result, our officers are paying with their lives and we're tired of it. Yeah, and Joe, I think, you know, morale is at an all time low. And I think for a lot of law enforcement in America, they felt like during COVID, they were they were deputized in this really twisted way. None of them wanted to be Hitler's brown shirts or Mussolini's black shirts or the Red Guard or anything like that. But we saw these videos out of New York where kids were getting kicked out of restaurants and it was the police who were having to do it. And I know morale is at an all-time low, but I'm just curious with with the regulations that came down because of COVID and and law enforcement uh, having to to take on some of that. How how did that change policing? How did COVID change it and affect the morale? Well, I'll tell you, I've been a police officer for 17 years, and I've never seen morale as bad as it is right now. And we're seeing it in the numbers. Retirements are up 45% nationwide. Resignations are up 20%. So, you know, COVID was just something that pushed more police officers to want to leave when they were asked to do things that they didn't want to do, when they were asked to enforce mass, ma- mass mandates that had nothing to do with us. If you wanted the health department, have them do it. But you're, what you're seeing is just police officers across this country, they've just had enough of being treated like crap. You know, we, it's not asking too much. We're, we're the only profession in this country, with the exception of our brave service men and women, who go to work every single day and people are actively trying to kill us. So it's not too much to ask that we actually be respected, that we be paid a decent wage, and that people want to support us. Because I'll tell you right now, aside from retirements and resignations, our recruitment is tanking quicker than the stock market last week. We've seen uh, applications down 40% in Massachusetts, 70% in Illinois, in Chicago loan applications are down 80%. So you know what? I don't think it's hyperbole for me to say that our profession is dying. We have people leaving in droves. We've got nobody to replace them. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, Joe, I uh, grew up blue. I grew up in a family of all cops and and I was blessed to grow up that way. I've watched two things that this Justice Department has done in the last couple of months. They took two lawyers who threw Molotov cocktails uh, during the George Floyd protests into a NYPD vehicle. Got, gave them one plea deal, then took the team plea deal back and made it even more lenient. And then there's another incident where they've yet to charge the person who threw a Molotov cocktail into what I believe was an occupied NYPD car. There's a lot of rhetoric from the Justice Department saying we stand behind the men of law enforcement. But what do these two cases say about the Justice Department's commitment to that? Well, I think it's just a symptom of what we're seeing with, you know, I I hesitate to even call them district attorneys at this point because they're just a joke. They don't actually do their jobs anymore. But we're seeing this happen nationwide with these woke DAs who just refuse to enforce the law that we have on the books right now. And I mean, look what's happening in our urban communities. Last year was the deadliest year in this country for our homicide rate in 20 years. We had 16 American cities experience their highest murder rate on record. And it's not slowing down this year. New York, L.A., D.C., Atlanta, Philadelphia are all outpacing those violent crime numbers from last year. And, you know, you know who's the worst in all of this? D.A. George Gascon in L.A., who just cut a sweetheart deal. Forget this. Gave probation for somebody who is a violent felon for felon in possession of a firearm. Gave him probation. And while that person was out, he murdered two police officers. So you'd think D.A. Gascon would you know, come out with an apology? No, he actually doubled down and said he did the right thing by giving that individual probation. And now that's why you've seen 35 cities in that community have a no confidence vote in George Gascon, who should resign in shame for what he has done to that community. 
but we're seeing it all across the country. There is no consequences anymore for violent criminals and they are running wild. And, I, and I'll tell you, our communities are fed up. They're pissed off. They want safe streets. And if these you know, DAs aren't going to give it to them, they're going to hold them accountable at the ballot box, just like they did yeah. with Chesa Boudin, who found his ass on the unemployment line. Right. Yes. And, and like you said, we're trying to get George Gascon out of Los Angeles. He's got that same uh, Soros cheddar behind him that Chesa Boudin did. Do you expect to see a lot of these prosecutors, these far left progressive prosecutors, lose their positions after what we saw in San Francisco, in very, very liberal San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, the, the deep blue San Francisco actually recalled their district attorney. You know, I still ride patrol and I go out there every single night and I ride night shift and I talk to people in our communities and I know what they want. They want safe streets. They want their schools to be safe. They want to be able to walk their kids down to the store. They want to be able to actually have a grocery store in their neighborhood. They don't want a food desert, but the grocery store won't come in unless it's safe. So, yeah, I absolutely think we're going to see more and more DAs go the route of Chesa Boudin. They're trying to recall George Gaston. The legislature in Pennsylvania is trying to do the same to Larry Krasner. And the more and more we see our violent crime rate get out of control, the more and more we're going to see a reckoning at the ballot box. No. Yeah. A quick question before we go. Uh, do most law enforcement officers, do most cops think that Joe Biden's on their side? You know, I would say that most police officers don't believe that Joe Biden's on their side. And I think, you know, I don't think it's too much to ask for any politician in this country. I don't care whether you're left or right. And I don't care what level of government you are. Is it too much to ask to just condemn the violence against law enforcement in all its forms whenever we have officers being shot, whenever we're seeing ambush attacks up 30 percent against this? Is it too much to just say we need to support the hardworking men and women of law enforcement? The ones that step Common out sense. of line need to be held accountable. I know it. That's not too much to ask. Joe Gamaldi, we appreciate you joining us and we will absolutely have you back on soon. Everybody stick around. We will be right back after these commercial breaks. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor Advise Fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z -Pak. The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%.
All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. You know where we do, what we do, why we do it. A big thanks to the great guests we had today. Mark Smith really helped us understand the magnitude of that Supreme Court ruling. And, of course, James Gamaldi really gave you the pulse of the men and women of blue and their frustrations with Democratic policies all the way up to and including with President Joe Biden. How about that? All right, before we go, we always have a great partnership Uh, Every day we have one we can share with you because we've got great partners, great advertisers, great sponsors, and they do special things for you because you're a member of the Just the News family. And one of them is Donors Trust. We've had them on the show. Uh, We had that great special not too long ago about the Ukrainian efforts to raise money, what the Ukrainians really need versus what we're sometimes told they need. Well, Donors Trust, they help manage your charitable giving. And the reason they can do it so well, they were built with listeners like you and me people who believe limited government and constitutional rights are worth fighting for. So if you already have a donor advice fund, consider opening a rollover account. It can be done in three simple steps by calling my friends at Donors Trust. The Donors Trust team will work with you to protect your charitable legacy and help you achieve your charitable goals and match your charitable goals to the values that are most important to you. Partner with a fund that matches your values and to learn more on how to do that, Download the prospectus that Donors Trust has put together at www.donorstrust.org slash just the news. That's www.donorstrust.org slash just the news. That's a great place to get started. Align your giving with your values. Start today by going to donorstrust.org slash just the news. All right, folks, have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. taxnetworkusa.com slash victor.